Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Marcus. Yeah. It's time for part two. What? It's the episode you've been waiting for, folks. Episode 15 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Oh. Kenny Aronson. What a great guy. He uh, he sat in here with us for a while, and we talked, and, and it really went on long. So we thought, that, you know, in the interest of people trying to fit podcasts into their busy lives, we'd uh, cut it down and, and make it two parts. But Because you couldn't cut anything out. It was too much fun. Yeah, there was. this was actually easy to clean up because... He had too many great stories that yeah. we didn't really have to clean up a lot. I think a lot of the gaps were us sitting here with our jaws agape yes. uh, at some of the things that he's telling us about. And it continues here on uh, episode 15. Uh, Want to roll on that, buddy? Yeah, let's get it rolling. Part two of our conversation with Kenny Aronson on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Some of the other people you got to play with over the years, like Brian Setzer and Brian. Michael Monroe of uh, Hanoi Rocks, you yeah. got to play with. Yeah. What was it like playing with Brian Setzer? Because that's totally a different style than what you had been playing at that point. And was it challenging to switch grooves to do more of a swing rockabilly type of sound? Well, actually, though, when I played with Brian, it wasn't that. Brian was getting away from that. That's why he broke up the Stray Cats. He got tired of it. He wanted to try something else. And he was doing more of the Springsteen kind of thing. It was wanted to be more of a song based, more of a rock and roll, not yeah, rockabilly. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah and and you know what? That that record we did is it's a really good record. It just didn't really do much. But anybody that's ever heard it really, really loves it. There's a lot of tunes on it. There's great playing on it. The only thing when you listen back to it now, it really sounds like an 80s production. But it sounded like everything sounded, you know, big reverberant snare drums, you know. Okay. Snare drums that sound like cannon shots, you know. But Kenny Aronoff played on that record with us, and it was great work. It was the first time I got to work with Kenny and worked with Don Gaiman, who did a lot of work with Mellencamp at the time yeah, right. as an engineer-producer. And the other guitar player was another great guitar player from the New York area, Tommy Burns, who's been with Billy Joel now for a long time. And, you know, he was a cat that I knew for many years just from being, you know, Brooklyn, New York. York, Long Island area, and Brian is from Long Island. Speaking of Long Island, you did a stint in Blue Oyster Cult. How'd you end up being with them? Actually, that's not so. No? No. That association comes from a project that I did with the former drummer, the original drummer of Blue Oyster Cult. That's Albert Bouchard. So Albert was no longer in Blue Oyster Cult. Him and Sandy Perlman, the Blue Oyster Cult sort of Svengali. Yeah, he was their manager. Yeah. They had an idea for concept record and so Sandy and Albert put that together and hired me and Tommy Price 
okay. to play drums and other a Tommy Mandel on keyboards and another friend, another Tommy, Tommy Morangello and a guy named Jack Rigg, all cats I'm still friendly with. And it was this big group of people. And we went out to a studio in Long Island that was owned by Foghat called Boogie Motel. And we did this project there. And that project was called Imaginos. Oh, so that's what's listed. Okay. That's because ultimately to make this thing happen, I think they had to put it out as a Blue Oyster cult record. There was uh. the whole thing. It just got very weird the way, I mean, all this stuff happened after I had been done with the project. I mean, right. I did my parts and everybody worked really hard on this project. Then the project. lawyers got to work. Then other things. <laughs> the outside factors. Yeah, other, other <laughs> elements came into play and was yeah. this very long drawn out thing. Does, does that stuff and, ever get to you though? Like when you put the work in and then things like get complicated. I'll tell you that. what bothers me about it is if you heard these tracks from the time that I was done with them, these tracks were huge, sounded amazing. I mean, bass and drums, because Tommy Price was playing drums, and he's he's a killer drummer, and we play great together. There was a lot of really powerful, cool stuff going on here, and then what happened was they kept overdubbing and kept overdubbing and kept bringing in more people. They had Aldo Nova playing. They had what? all these people coming in. Mm. It reminds me of listening to a Phil Spector record. In, oh, in, now, in the, now, wait. Now, now, wait. Check this out. Phil Spector records on one hand sound huge monsters but yet everything in that is small there's so much going on that the more mm. you keep putting on the smaller it gets it's just no more room for things to to have air and it's the reverb in the echo chambers that sound huge, but it's almost bigger than the music, music itself. itself. It's right. really crazy if you if you think about. It. Well, I just remember when I it's heard so this. Funny that when you I said that. Finally though. heard like this Imaginos record. I was like, what happened to? It? it was like it was so huge, and it just became like small. And I remember how hard we worked, and we worked at night. We would go from like ten till five o'clock, and you know, yeah. it was seven o'clock at night yeah. till five o'clock in the morning. Wow. Long I mean, And then we would sleep all day. Yeah. I, and I was in this studio, this, this place, Boogie Motel, I think three weeks with hardly ever seeing the light of day. All we mm -hmm. did was work and sleep and work and sleep. And I just remember we put in so much work and the sounds were huge, but the results were kind of small in my opinion. But that's what frustrates me when that kind of thing happens, mm -hmm. you know. I could understand that because yeah. you're putting your heart into it. Yeah, but, you know, I can only do what I can do. I'm not that's in control right. of the situation. Situation. I'm not producing. I'm not engineering. Nobody's saying it's time to stop here. This is great. You know, people just sometimes don't know when to say stop. You know, the problem with recording today, everybody's got access to so many tracks. You don't know when to say no anymore. That's true. You know, you, you just go too far with it. That's true. Sometimes less is more. Oh, right, less is. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. that way in cooking. Seriously, yeah. the simplicity <laughs> of cooking. Yeah. I mean, advertising uh, the best advertising is the best, it's, most you know, simple. Give them enough rope and hang themselves. Yep. You know, it's, it happens a lot. Lot. Kenny, you've played with one of our Marcus and my favorite rock and rollers, Joan Jett. Just, I think, one of the coolest ladies in rock and roll yeah. history. She's always stuck to her guns. Yes. And, and yeah. she's mm -hmm. there's a feel to her music, no matter what 
she's writing, no matter what she's recording. What was it like for you playing with Joan, working with Joan? You even wrote a little too, didn't you? Yeah, it was very bittersweet, to be honest with you. I really like playing with Joan, and I have a lot of respect for Joan. Because, no, you were with her right around, I think, in the mid-90s. 91 to 94. Yeah. So yeah. when the Evil Stig happened, the live Gets album she did with the Gets After Mia Zapata was murdered in Seattle. She and Eddie Vedder oh, were very active Oh, she got involved keeping, with the whole Riot Girls scene. Yeah, yeah, and she was involved with keeping Mia Zapata's investigation right. alive yes. until they found her murder. Her and Eddie Vedder were the two big players in that yeah. as far as the musicians go. Just wondering if you were with her at that time because well, when I was that do- live Stig album, that Evil Gets album is real. That live Stig Evil Gets yeah, album is really good. I don't know that, and but she- I know when I was doing her record, she had the gals from L7 hanging around a lot. Oh, yeah. She was really mm-hmm. f- I watched, tight with them. I watched uh, one of the gals from L7 punch Rockfish. Really? Yeah, right backstage. It was amazing. Rob Oxford? Rob Oxford got punched by uh, either Danita or the other. All right, leader. I'm reaching out to him on Facebook tonight. It was basically somebody threw, a tamp- somebody threw a tampon on stage and somebody said, what's this? And he looked at her and said, figures you wouldn't know, and she punched him. Oh, well, maybe he deserved it. He totally deserved <laughs> it. Have you heard the record that I did with her? With, with Joan? No, 94 record? Pure and Simple? Pure and Simple. I it's have actually, not. It's, you should check it out. Some really good stuff. All right, it. I will definitely it's check rocket. it out. It's I haven't really heard it in a long stuff. time. Well, she's I, done I some really good records. music over the years. I saw her for the first time in 85 in college at Mizzou. She came and played, and we were all just blown away by her. We were just like, holy cow, she could play. You know what I loved about Joan? She really knew what to do with what she had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's very simple, but what she knows and what she does on the guitar, her sound, her amp, she's yep. very much into something that works for her, yep. doesn't deviate, and she's just great at that. Yeah. She's great at that. Yeah. She, she understands know? rock and roll and the history as well. She knows the history oh, yeah. as yeah, well, yeah. and that makes a huge difference, and I that like comes Joan. across. I, I really, love Joan. I, I like Joan a lot, and I enjoyed playing with her. You uh, know what I want to ask you? You've done all these great <clears throat> things, all these amazing things. You've played with so many people. I've played with so many great people. I, you know, Can you a, sort through all of it to find like a favorite experience that you had out of it? Is, there, is, it, is, it, is it? Can you do that? Well, playing with Bob was great. Because you're still playing, so it's Playing tr- with Bob was great. Yeah. Playing with Derringer and being second on the bill of Led Zeppelin was incredible. Holy <laughs> what year was that? 77. So and, it, and it was at Bill Graham's Day on the Green shows at oh. Oakland Coliseum. Oh, Legendary. The legendary fight yes. between Bill Graham security people oh, and Led Zeppelin yeah. security oh, people. Oh, that's where that, that's that's where that was. Lisa yeah, yeah. Robinson wrote about that she in her did. book yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. We were oh, there for wow. that. And the opening act was Judas Priest. Yeah. Wow, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. What? Yeah, wow. Judas Priest, Derringer, and Zeppelin. That's a Holy an incredible triple bill. What now, was the most fun tour? I mean, there are. To- I mean, it- <laughs> oh, that's easy. Is it one of the Derringer tours? <laughs> no, that would have to be Billy Idol. <laughs> oh, really? yeah, of course it was Billy and Stevie, without a doubt. Oh, what was God. that like? When oh, those, I had when so those much two fun and almost killed They were freaking frack, and they were so tight that, at that time. Yeah, but they had fight. Oh, oh well, like yeah. brothers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would fight like two brothers. You're sometimes. laughing. You're smiling like you haven't been since you sat there. I almost. 
I think I'm blushing right now. Oh, God. Yeah, no, no, seriously, I I had so much fun, I almost killed myself. It was too much. It was too much. It was great. It was truly the expression, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's exactly what it was. There's no doubt that's Billy Idol. Duh. (laughs) Is there anybody that you've wanted to play with that you have not been able to play with over the years? Anybody on your bucket list that you still really kind of feel the need you have to jam Yeah, with. I wish I played with the Wrecking Crew. For any session guy, that was pretty heavy stuff. That's what I yeah. wish I could have done. Did you meet a lot of the Wrecking Crew? No, but I had brunch with Hal Blaine one time. Nice. Because I'm a huge Hal Blaine fan. Uh-huh. Bless his soul. Wow. He was really, he was really, uh, I met him through a friend of mine. I was out in LA and my friend said, hey, you want to have lunch? Want to have brunch with Hal Blaine? And he would meet every weekend with people from the Latin Percussion Company. Hmm. And so my friend drove, we drove out because my friend was friends with the Latin percussion people and we drive to this restaurant and there's Hal and we go and have lunch with him. And oh. he, all he did was tell like Borscht Belt jokes the whole time. <laughs> all he told was jokes. You just wanted to know who played bass on you this got, record, guitar on that Couldn't get a straight and I'm going, like brunch, he was, here's he another was, joke. He was great. It was so funny. As we were leaving, he was going to go to, a, he had a doctor's appointment and he says to me, he goes, come over to my car for a second and he gets into his car and he opens up the passenger side window and he goes here stick your head in and he puts on a cassette tape and it's a disc jockey friend of his made a cassette of three seconds of everything he ever played on whoa <laughs> i'm sitting whoa. there listening to these things go by like intros or bits of songs and i'm right. going Oh, oh, gee, that's a Leslie Gore song. I didn't know he played on. Like, the stuff was just going by, and I'm trying to remember the stuff that I didn't know he played on, you know, because I wanted to go home and start. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was was really, really, he was a very nice man. That was a very nice man. I might have read online that you might have auditioned for the Rolling Stones yes, in 1994. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, do you want I, to talk about that audition and what it was like? And was it like, did you feel like you were interviewing for a CEO job at a corporation <laughs> or anything like hardcore? I was scared shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fucking Stones. Yeah. I know. So I'll tell you a story. So at the time, all my friends from New York were part of their crew. They had like a lot of guys from New York City that were mm-hmm. part of their road crew. So I heard about the audition audition and I went to somebody that I knew that worked in a a rehearsal studio who had connections to Mick and I said is there some way you could get information you know he goes yeah and he he said oh yeah he goes get me a resume and he goes just give me like a 15 minute something we played on I said okay that's like your air check so I gave him I gave him a resume and I gave him I gave him a tape and I gave him a picture of me in a gondola going on the bridge of size and now what was going on at the time was Mick and Keith had been feuding for a while up until that point and so they I guess were past their feuding period and, right, that, right. and now they needed to find a bass player because Wyman said that's it so Wyman had it and so instead of forcing each other's bass players on each other they said that they would audition people right. and let Charlie decide at least that's what I was told well so they auditioned 21 bassists from wow, the states and they did it in new york that. they did it in new york city and i went down there and i asked one of my friends on the crew can you get me in like later not so much in the beginning he goes i'll see what i can do 
meantime, every couple of days, my friend would tell me he would hear what songs they were auditioning on. So by the time I went in, I knew every song that they were trying people out on. So I was working on the stuff at home. You know, it's really amazing. You listen to this stuff your whole life, but you never necessarily played it. So, you know, I'm playing through these tunes, just getting used to playing them. And I went down to audition, and I dressed up real nice. I had this beautiful pink jacket that I bought in Japan when I was with Joan. And, you know, just rock and roll. You know, mm -hmm. I was looking at my rock and roll look at the time. Hair was up really high. They used to have it. And when I walked into the studio, one of my friends from the crew said, take the jacket off. Don't go in there with that jacket. Because mm. they knew what was going on. Well, I don't think they were. Well, I, I don't know. They For some reason, they didn't want me going in in there looking all flash. Okay. So I said, fine. So I went in and I'm setting up my stuff and all of a sudden, one by one, they come walking in. Keith comes in, Charlie comes in, Ronnie comes in, and then Mick came in and they were just, they couldn't have been nicer. First thing out of Keith's mouth was, he says, uh, I've got a cooler filled with Stoli. Would you like a drink? You know? <laughs> and, I, and I'm a drinking man and that. I said, no, I was going to be on my best behavior, yeah, and I actually turned down. Minutes, I turned down a cocktail from Keith. So, at any rate, I played with him for like a hour and a half. Wow! What and, songs did you play? Oh my God, we did uh, "Miss You" and "Memory Motel" and uh, some later things from what, Steel what, Wheels, Steel Wheels, Dirty Steel, Work, yeah, things. Like yeah, that. you know, and uh, "Start Me Up" and sure. I, I can't I, remember now. That's the stuff that they were like, doing you know, in the 90s. Were there any tunes but, that like gave you fits to play like during this time when you were learning them? Like, were there any songs that were more challenging to learn or were you kind of... No, but actually for me, you know, I tend to be the kind of person that wants to try to... If there's a bass line that somebody played on something and I really like it, I want to try to nail that bass line. You know, I can be particular about that even though they may, you know, when you actually go in, they may not even care about that. You know, you might be worried about, well, I got to get this bass line. And to them, it's not that important. But I went in and played with them. They couldn't have been more charming. And then uh, what was really actually shocking to me was when I was standing amongst them, how little they were, actually. They were like all my size. I mean, Is it because was, we're, we always see them? You see it, them shot at this angle. They're yeah. bigger than yeah. life. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you think about it, yeah. you see them many times at an angle and you just sort of grow up thinking. A lot of these people are you know, And then the they way are. they seem like when you're watching on TV, they just seem taller and you yeah. know Keith was like my size and Mick was maybe an inch or two taller I mean Mick was like he just was thin, thin as a lean yeah. and mean man. I just rewatched yeah. the, the 91 tour with 91 tour it was recorded at the Hampton Coliseum and I'm watching it and that's the thing is he comes out and he's in a like a lavender suit jacket with the pants and uh, but even with the jacket on he was like get razor thin yeah and, man he's like in incredible shape he doesn't yeah. have like he's always been been that way yeah. always yeah. in amazing. 76 Where's when robert banana? plant broke his legs he was considering retiring from music at that time because of the pain and he said to lisa robinson the journalist at that time who was on tour with zeppelin and really friendly with the band i may not be able to do this but mick jagger will tour forever he said that in yeah. like 76 yeah. yeah i knew lisa a little bit around that time yeah. because she was good friends with rick and liz derringer yeah she's oh, cool. a great journalist um, and i tell you and ron, ron 
Ronnie, Ronnie was great. He extended himself to me in the very beginning. Like he oh, came nice. out to greet me before I even went into right. onto the soundstage. He came out to say hello, and we had a few musician acquaintances in common. And uh, Ronnie was really a sweet guy. He was really really nice. They were all very nice. And then at the end, I'm packing up my stuff, and all of a sudden they realize here's Ron, here's uh, Keith, and Mick takes a picture of me with a Polaroid. Takes a couple of pictures of me and Keith together and gave me one of them. Uh. You know. I was like, uh, I was do you like, still have it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, bad. They, they were great. They were really cool. Wow, what a cool audition. Yeah, you know, I mean, not even. What's a grand I never, scale? I never I mean, expected to get the gig, mm -hmm. but I was so happy just to have gotten a chance to just actually experience being around them. Because yeah. I mean, how often is that going to happen? I'm just, yeah. you know, how many times is there going to be these guys are my heroes, opening, right? You know? I mean, it's yeah. been uh, all these years, twenty five years. You know, Jones it, has it, been it, there, and think yeah, about it. They did. Here's a band that could do a whole album to audition guitar players black and blue was basically about auditioning like the next full-time guitar player. Yeah. yeah and they couldn't have been nicer and at one point we were taking a little break and i said to keith i said listen i just gotta tell you something it's really an honor to be here you guys are my heroes and i said it's just i just want to tell you it's a real pleasure to be here and i really appreciate it and keith goes oh man we're just a garage band that got lucky <laughs> i mean i mean i mean how you know he was so he keeps it in perspective. Yeah, we're, just just we're just a garage band that got lucky. Well, we just did an episode. It was the, a kind of a sketch, an overview of the Stones. And the thing that struck us when we were talking about it is, if Mick and Keith don't meet on that train platform the day Mick's got all the records under his hands, could, does does it happen? You know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Those moments make rock and roll history. But also, you just it's the things, the happenstance, the I things mean, that have to happen. When you were talking about on an earlier podcast about the Yardbird. Right. If it wasn't for the Yardbirds, you'd have no Led Zeppelin. That's Where true. would music be today? Maybe no Eric Clapton. Where would Eric Clapton would have Zeppelin? been a blues bars guy? I mean, a blue, a you bars know, blues when you think about it in those terms, yeah. it's yeah. frightening. Also, the thing that blew my mind is Charlie Watts and Ginger Baker and uh, and you know Jim McCarty Clapton and, and Jimi Hendrix. They're all sitting there drinking beers, talking about engineering and music and their studies and the music and watching these old blues bands, thinking, "Hey, I might be a." plumber i might be an economist i might be right, this and then right. there's a fucking british invasion we like seriously about, we were talking about the uh, blues Incorporated well old graham bond and, and alexis corner and cyril davies and yeah. all these people those were the purest man yeah. those yeah. guys were the yes. hardcore and who we're talking about they were kids yeah. watching who just those guys. loved the they blues and they looked up to and, alexis and, and you know it's amazing it's now, truly now what's amazing. it like for you as somebody who's we were when we were kids the yardbirds were a band that was current and on the radio, and now you're in the New Yardbirds. Jim told us how, how it came together. He mentioned you and the other guys mm -hmm. who are playing with him when he goes on tour these days. What's that like to get up there every night and play those amazing Okay, classes? well, you know what? The Yardbirds were my favorite band when I was a teenager. Wow. I absolutely worshipped the Yardbirds. I had all the records. They were all in mono, That's and I so played them and yummy. drove my parents crazy because I played them nonstop. And I loved every song on every Yardbirds record. In fact, there's a photo of me at about 14 years old in, in my bedroom at home and I'm standing in front of my record player and the first record on the on the shelf of all these records is I think
tickets over on the sideways down. That's right. You see it in this photograph. And you know what? My joke is my favorite band in the world. It took me 50 years to get the job, and I finally got <laughs> it. Because I, I just, I, I, and when I go out and I play those songs, I'm just thrilled to death. When we break into I'm Not Talking or mm. and anything, I'm just, I just, I just, I can't believe I'm playing it. I, I, I totally get lost the, in the, it. I can see by the look on your face. Yeah, I get, I get lost in it because those records had a profound sure. effect on my life. Sure. At 14, did you know that you wanted to play music for the rest of your life? I knew I wanted to play music at a very early age. It just took me to 11 to start banging on drums. What was the early music that you heard that made you say, this is oh, what well, I want to do? Oh, I grew up, my older brother, my brother was seven years older than me, so I grew up with doo-wop. Oh, wow. And so Elvis. The scene, yeah. And then Phil Spector records. Oh. I'm a, a 50s, 60s guy. I just love all that stuff. Did I, you ever I get to play Duop. with like Lou Reed? I never played with Lou, but Hall & Oates was opening up for Lou Reed when I played with him. Was he grumpy then, too? Ah. He, yes, he was a little strange back then. I think he, he was having some some issues. Yeah, because he was he was notoriously grumpy during the interviews. band that he had when I was with him had the, it was the was it the Jades? Dick, it was the Dick Hunter, the Dick oh, Wagner, okay. Steve Hunter, Steve Dick Wagner, Wagner. Okay. band. They were with wow. him. At the Kenny, I can't thank you enough yeah, for coming in to hang with us today. We, you know, I knew some of the things we were going to talk about because we know a little bit about your history. But you set us straight <laughs> on some things, and yeah. I can't thank you enough for that. Mm. And I can't thank you enough for sharing some well, of your I'll, stories I'll here. Look, on I'll listen to some history. more podcasts and if I hear any things that need to straighten be corrected I'll straighten your right. <laughs> Hold on. before we go a muse might have whispered in my ear for you to tell us about a George Harrison story oh yeah 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 I did a uh, a soundtrack do you remember the last Porky's film yes Porky's Revenge yes yeah. well Dave Edmonds produced that soundtrack and I had been working with Dave at the time so Dave had Michael Shreve and uh, Chuck Lavelle come into the studio and work with him on that what album. Band. What a band! Ah, so that some, band's better than the movie. So, yeah. so I, I got <laughs> to play. I got to play a few tracks with Dave, and I got to play with the fabulous Thunderbirds because their bass player couldn't make it to the studio. So I subbed for him, and George Harrison came in to do. I believe it was an unreleased Bob Dylan song called "I Don't Want to Do It." I think it's on Porker's mm -hmm. Revenge, and we'll and I think up. it's I think I'm it's called "I Don't." want to do it and when I, I was out having dinner with Michael Shreve dinner and cocktails and when we came back into the studio George was there and I came in and I had my big rockabilly hairdo and stuff and he saw me and he just came over to me and gave me this big hug and told him how my hair reminded him of his when he was young Oh, cool. and then we hung it. out you and, called and, it. it's and, I don't want to do it yeah I don't want to do it it's a great tune a little bit of it yeah there it is very good Great, right? Oh, yeah. Isn't it great? Because I got goosebumps right now. I, I feel you, man. I really do. I have goosebumps. Was George laid back? Yeah, like he was totally really a chill sweet. Dude. He was really a sweet guy. He was very, very nice. It's hard to imagine that these guys are laid back, not because they're bad people, but because of the super, super gigantic stardom level status that they have. That you're like, what are they like as regular people? So it's kind of hard to picture, hey, George Harrison being a regular dude hanging out. So that's why I was so curious to ask you about Bob. Because yeah. the same kind of you thing. Know. It's like, and it's so funny that you're talking earlier about he could be just sitting around 
around the room like this just hanging out like well, one of but the guys. Well, but the other, the other so, little thing that I didn't say about Bob was when I was saying that he was almost as normal as you and I just sitting here talking, right. that was the first time I worked with him. And then, <laughs> when I, and then when I went back, when I went back to that same studio the yeah. following year to get ready for the next tour, the one that I had to leave uh-huh. from, he was completely the opposite and totally a hooded sweatshirt over his head all so the it was time. So he was totally not was at totally non-communicative at one point he just said to me can i play something more purple hmm. whoa so i didn't do anything different and that was good whoa. It, it was really it was bizarre like instead of trying to figure out what does he mean by playing Prim. something more purple i just didn't do anything purple. different and it was cool <laughs> Oh my! So I don't know. Oh my God! I feel like we could be here all all night. Oh, there's this. no doubt. I mean, you you have so many great stories. Uh, well, we're gonna have to do something else in the future. Sure, maybe we'll, anytime. Maybe like... we'll do something. Uh, we, we've talked about doing one like at a local bar. Maybe we get you and David to come out and tell stories. Yeah. His stories, I'm sure you've found oh. already from hanging out with David was sick, and, and his stories are definitely epic. Yeah, and he's got some great ones. And well, I want you know, to thank you know, David you know, for yeah. for getting us together yeah, here. Listen, you, you know, we've been, we've been at this. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Dave is a good man. He's got a good heart. Big heart. Big, yes, big heart. And you know what? It's so great. After everything that we've all been through, we're alive and we could talk about all yeah. this stuff, man. So it's great. It's great to hear the stories I, behind the music that we listen to. And I think that's to. half the reason we started this thing, Marcus, yeah. right? We talked about this. Well, Kenny, we can't thank you enough. Kenny Aronson, our guest here on the Balance History of Rock <laughs> and Roll. It's always fun to get together and talk about rock and roll, but we want to hear from you, too. Don't forget, you can send an email to imbalancedhistory at gmail.com or on Facebook at Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll or you can follow Ray Coob Radio on Twitter Marcus and Darkus on Twitter and that's a good way by the way to find out when the new episode hits the pan because uh, we usually get it out pretty quick on Twitter and stuff. absolutely and look around Tuesdays for the new episodes to drop a little yeah we're hint. trying to stick to that Tuesday thing there's always something to yeah. learn there's always something to learn. It's good fun, thought there we're loving to learn about all this rock and roll so thank you very much thank, thank you. you Kenny <laughs> oh man Oh. The rock and roll life. I know. And, and you know, we, we think we live a rock and roll life. Kenny has lived a rock and roll life. Like many, like. Many times. Uh, many times. Many lives like the, a cat. Yeah, he just keeps flowing with it. And you see like throughout the years, all the different things that people invited him into, or in the case of the Stones, invited him to have an opportunity, which is unbelievable. And you could tell how much that meant to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's other stories which you could tell, uh. He didn't want to tell necessarily on the air, but you could probably get out of him if you're hanging with him with the bar band, with the in the pocket guys. He's playing playing around a lot with them. And uh, we want to thank Kenny Aronson because it's been a blast these last two episodes having him here. Uh, And uh, don't forget, you can chime in. You can tell us uh, your thoughts on our interview with Kenny or any of our other podcasts, any of our other episodes. Uh, Email us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. Or uh, there's always a place to make comments on our Facebook page, which is uh, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Facebook. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm tired, man. I'm exhausted, too. I think we need to go rest a little bit and recharge for our next episodes. Yeah, we have to figure out what that is. We'll surprise them. Let's not tell them. Ray Coop here on my way out the door. It's Marcus in the Darkest flying away as well. We'll catch you next time on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 